I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It was football's greatest fairy tale. In 10 years, Ramshackle Wimbledon went from the semi-pro fifth tier to the top flight and FA Cup glory. But that is only half the story. We're getting to the stage where we were believing at one stage we were warlords. Vinnie Jones, John Fashnu and co were a bunch of absolute animals. (laughs) They torched cars, held press conferences naked and hospitalised their enemies with dressing room beatings. This is the story of the crazy gang. My name is Jack Rivlin. I'm joined, as always, by Zachary Sweeney Lynch. Hello. Hello, mate. And we are joined today by our producer and sometime Wimbledon expert, George Cooper. Hi, Jack. You all right, mate? How's it going? Sorry, I say sometime Wimbledon expert because you live... In Wimbledon, I do, yeah, yeah, cool. And you got a few, you got a few sort of uh inns connections, born and raised family from uh all around that kind of part of town. Got a few connections, a lot of them are diehard Wimbledon fans, grew up supporting the club during the crazy gang era. So I've taken a lot of the stories in via osmosis over the years, and I'm very excited when we decided that we were going to do this one. I was disappointed that we're not going to go with Ashley Cole, to be quite honest. I was about to say, obviously, listeners may remember the mix-up where George, where we were doing Mike Ashley and George prepare for Ashley Cole. And I, I just want to check, mate, we're talking about Wimbledon Football Club here, not the tennis tournament. <laughs> I was worried you are going to come in in your whites. <laughs> Shit. An all-England club expert. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm prepped. I'm ready. Right, I think we should get into it, Zach. Do you want to kick us off yeah. with the story? Yeah, so we're going to start all the way back in 1977 when Wimbledon are playing in the, in the Southern League, which was the fifth division of English football was kind of semi-professional but by 1981 they're playing in the fourth division and they were taken over by a Lebanese businessman called Sam Hamam who is a man with a, a strange fixation on sheep <laughs> it seems so there are quite a few stories of him forcing players to eat sheep's eyeballs there's an, another one from he, he later owned Cardiff and he signed a player there and there was a he inserted a clause into their contract where the player had to eat sheep's testicles before he signed it's not helping the Welsh stereotype there <laughs> no, is it no. I think, didn't he also say you have to have a physical liaison with a sheep. Yeah, that was the wording. It was written into his. It was written <laughs> into his contract. <laughs> also, while we're on on him. 
best eyebrows I've ever seen. Mm. He's like one of these people with, he seems to go gray, but somehow keep these incredibly thick, dark eyebrows. It's like, almost like he's got two ferrets on his, <laughs> taped to his forehead. <laughs> yeah, that white hair and thick, thick, like slug-like eyebrows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they're in Division 4, they appoint Dave Bassett as manager. For some reason, they call him Harry. But it was under, under Harry that um, this kind of culture of madness that you associate with Wimbledon really began. So there was, there was, it was mentioned in a book about the crazy gang that he apparently turned up to press conferences naked. Although I, could, I couldn't find anything else about this, but it is mentioned in the book. He, he turned up in his birthday suit, it says. <laughs> I think, I think because isn't there a thing that even when they got to like the, the second tier, he was having to hold press conferences in his tiny office, which is basically a shed. And he would sometimes, I think get dressed, dressed and undressed for games for it. And so I think sometimes journals would come in, he'd be naked and just be like, I've ever seen. Yeah. And they, 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 <laughs> he's not there waiting. Everyone's <laughs> <laughs> finding their seats. Yeah. I mean, that's a real power move, that, isn't it? I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> um, what is it with these old school managers and like nudity? Warnock was the yeah. same, wasn't he? He used to just give sort of, he used to give them a bollocking for want of a better expression, yeah. just absolutely stark. And is, isn't it, is it Tony Pulis who he, he was naked in the dressing room and headbutted James Beattie? Is it Pulis? <laughs> mm, I'm pretty sure it yeah. is. At Stoke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wild. And he also actively encouraged this culture of pranks. So I think he, he, he used to play at Wimbledon and then became assistant manager, then manager. So he kind of got this pub team mentality that they had. And he decided that to, to toughen up the new recruits, pranks were a good thing. And Wimbledon went fully in for this. Two-footed. There's some, there's some amazing stories. So one of the, one of the, I guess, tamer ones uh, was that they would shred each other's clothes. So they'd go out to training, you'd come back and your all your your new clobber had just been set fire to or just shredded which is that's the that's the that's the light stuff they'd also rub deep heat on people's underwear pick up dog shit from the local park and stuff it down the back of their shirts other <laughs> other players who remembered coming back to the training room and somebody had just shat in their boots <laughs> human human shit um how, how is that I mean, is that funny? That to me is not a prank. There's no yeah, element of it's like... It's just horrible. Yeah, it's just like psychological fucking... I, I feel like in the 70s and 80s, that sort of shit was quite funny. And now it's sort of like, fucking hell. This is just, yeah, can yeah. you imagine a workplace tribunal after yeah. that had happened? Yeah. This journalist turned up to the Wimbledon training ground one day and was in the car park, came into the car park and the players were tying one of their teammates naked to the roof of their car and then they drove off with him down the A3. <laughs> Just... The A3 is like 70 mile an hour speed. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Um, yeah, very narrow lanes as well. I can imagine it was terrifying. <laughs> can you imagine just driving past yeah. a naked bloke tied to the roof with bungee cables? <laughs> who is, is that, he? Doing... Is that Dave Beeson? <laughs> <laughs> who, who was it? Just some uh, fucking youth team probably player. Probably some youth team player, yeah. They'd also barely egg the youth team players and throw flour on them as well. At this time, Wimbledon was still, was still this lower league club that had a lot of the sort of quirks of that level. So they'd take the train to and from matches with their fans. They'd, you know, they come back after a game and drain the, drain the buffet carriage and then go out to the pub with, with all their fans. Cause they've got a pub in the stadium, don't they? Yeah. The sportsmen. Yeah. That they all, they, 
until they're into the second tier, I think it is some of the players having their contracts that they have to do shifts at the bar. Really? At this bar. It's mad. And it used to, so players routinely, if they had a good result, used to get pissed at the bar, which is in the ground. And in the new Plough Lane, there is a pub in the ground. I've been there, not sure. It's, it's proper, like, you know, craft beer, decent pub. And it's an homage to that That's original oh, really? pub. And do the players still come and get pissed in there? No, I don't think so, so much anymore. But yeah, it used to just get smashed. And my cousin Will, who was there at the time, said it was just amazing as an 11-year-old just to see just the players that you idolise just getting absolutely like, <laughs> yeah. hammered with fans. You see, that's the bit of football that's been lost a bit that's so yeah. great about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are some things that probably... It's maybe good that they've been lost <laughs> to the annals of time, though. There was a, there was a story about their the Wimbledon bus driver who resigned after he was driving them down the motorway one day at 80 miles an hour and they put a cardboard box over his head (laughs) (laughs) and and then he, he like ripped the, ripped the cardboard box off and they poured molten fish batter over his bald head (laughs) from their fish and chips. Well, they got a deep fat fryer. I don't don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's just hot, hot fish batter. (laughs) I love the and self-destructive side of that as well. Oh, like we're all going, on the bus yeah, yeah, travelling yeah, at 80 yeah. miles do, an hour. You do realise you will also die if we <laughs> crash. But whatever you could say about these methods, it does work because Wimbledon make it up to Division 2 in uh, in 1984. And at this point, Sam Hammam, the chairman, decides, oh, okay, we, we need to invest in the squad now. So he takes out a hundred grand loan from the bank using Harry Bassett, his manager's house as a, as a guarantee on the loan. Amazing. <laughs> How does he agree to that? I don't know. Yeah. I think he's just desperate for players. Yeah. He's like, you, you know what? Fuck it. Just take my house. All right. <laughs> At least you know he's going to be invested after yeah, that. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And they, and they do invest it well. So that season they sign John Fashionu, who becomes sort of the, the leader of the crazy gang. He's this big striker. They sign him from Millwall and he's your he's yeah he's your archetype of a a tough man striker elbows in the face all that there was one story he he once broke Gary Mabbott the Tottenham defender's skull by by elbowing him in the face during a match yeah it's horror actually the, the picture of his face afterwards is is pretty grim he also Viv Anderson the Man United player he punched him in the face in the tunnel before a match and he needed three stitches in his face pretty horrible guy really and haven't we got some good clips of him defending that yeah so so there was a, a documentary made by BT Sport about the crazy gang a few years ago and Fashionu is asked in it about what what was going on there. Like, did you go too far at some point? And yeah, this is what he says. Did it go too far at times? Adam, what is too far? There was no such thing as too far, Adam. Do I mean that somebody died? Nobody died. That's too far. Do I mean that somebody got his pride broken? Yes, maybe. So what? It's part of the game, Adam. Come on, it's part of the game, my man. Do I mean someone got their pride broken? It's like, well, someone did get that skull broken. <laughs> also, his barometer of, like, his limit of whether going too far is, is murder, essentially. Like, yeah. anything below murder is fair game. He's got really good posture, which I always think is a bit sinister. Yeah. He sits up really upright. Obviously, listeners can't see that. It's worth watching the dog. Yeah, so I mean, if you if you thought that what he did to his opponents was bad, wait till you hear what he does to his teammates. So this is this is him uh, describing some of the some of the things they got up to on the training ground. Sometimes I even wince some of the things that we made them do. Oof, 
locking them in the boot of the car, dragging them round the pitch in the snow. Hmm. You can't eat for two days. Somebody will stay there and make sure you don't eat. But it changed their character. And today, I know if Scalzi boy or Philo, my guy, if they saw us today, they'd shake your hand and say, Fash, thank you, mate. You might have beat the hell out of us for how many years, but it changed our character. Fucking hell. So there's, there's quite a Hannibal Lecter vibe to the whole thing, right? The pronunciation, the little, like, faux concern. Like, mm. oh, we used to put them in the boot of the car. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, oh, my. Yes, Adam. It's fucking it's always, sinister. It's the, yeah, yeah, it really is. And it's the, it's the, like, slight smile that he's got on his face when he's recalling these, like, yeah. horribly sadistic things. Ooh, we wouldn't let them eat for two days, Adam. Yes. <laughs> there was a man there to make sure that he didn't, Adam. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> also, when you describe John Fashion, he's like the archetype of the hard man and stuff. Like you have a, an image in your mind, and then you hear him speaking. You're, that's not what I was expecting. I was expecting more of the Vinnie Jones thing. Mm. It's quite, it's quite Bond villain. Yeah, the Bond, will, Bond yes. will be like tied up in some like mountain lair, and then the the villain will come from the shadows and just be like. Hello, Adam. <laughs> it's like Plough Lane Blowfield. Like, it is. Yeah. I expect you to die, Philo. Apparently, he used to, prior to a match, do some research on who was refereeing, any sort of, you know, information that he could have on them. And then, prior to kickoff on the pitch, he'd be like, Hello, James. How's your wife doing? <laughs> Kids are doing well, are they? <laughs> Buttering them up. But then, within the first five minutes, he just fucking smash someone and he'd get away with it because the ref was like, oh, Fash, go on, you can't be doing that again. I mean, if, if any other player asked you how the wife and kids are, you'd be like, oh, that's pretty kind of you to ask. But when he sidles over and sort of lisps in your ear, my, how are they, Adam? <laughs> Phoebe's doing mighty well at school, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, Thursday's violin practice. <laughs> <laughs> he comes across I mean he's box office I think he really makes the documentary and he's box office for Wimbledon but he does come across as a sociopath mm, yeah right. I mean there's 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 worse right yeah I mean there's this story of him really savagely beating up uh, one of his teammates in the in the dressing room time I think it was a new player who joined the club and had kind of not really got the dressing room vibe that Fash was the boss and you don't speak to him in that way and Fash got his teammates to lock the door of the changing room with him and this other guy inside won't say who it is and beat the shit out of him basically Vinny this is Vinny Jones's description of it Fash threw him around like a rag doll I've never seen anything like it he literally lifted him up swung him around and smashed him down on the floor the fella had to have 20 or 30 stitches which when Vinnie Jones is saying, I've never seen anything like it, <laughs> you know, you've crossed the line. I mean, that's a tough first day at work, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favourite part of that clip, though, is the part where he's like, but if they saw us today, they would say, thank you, Fash. You may have beaten the hell out of us, but you changed our character. It's like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they would have said that. Did, I'm pretty sure that. that's what nonce monks at Catholic boarding school <laughs> say. <laughs> Built you a lot of character, though, didn't I, boy? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. You learned some pretty effective suppression <laughs> tactics, didn't you? Hmm? In the same documentary, they have Scales and Phelan talking, and I, I don't think they're thanking him. Mm. Fash. No, they still look quite shaken and traumatized <laughs> like 30 years on. <laughs> Poor first day as well. That is it's just brutal, mm, isn't it? Mm. He also had this feud with, uh, with Laurie Sanchez, his teammate. There's a story that apparently, I think they'd had some kind of argument at the training ground and. 
fashionably threw a cup of scalding hot tea over over Sanchez in the in the dressing room. Another time they uh it's like prison, isn't it? It's yeah, like, it's, come on, it's genuinely it's really, like well, so they they came out to the dressing room and Fashion who had an empty pillowcase and a bar of soap yeah. and just like beat seven shades of shit out of him. Yeah. The thing is you get quite desensitized to it when you're when you're reading about all these different stories one after the other. So like, oh, oh, they just threw a cup of scalding hot tea on him. It's like quite light. But but that's GBH. That's like that, that's, yeah, that is that's absolutely horrible. He fashioned like, a little blade out of a toothbrush yeah. and uh, <laughs> 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 there was another time um him and sanchez got in a fight and that evening sanchez phoned up a, a journalist that he knew and was like i've got a story for you um and wanted him to run a story about fashionu trying to end his career by breaking his leg with a karate chop um because F- fash is a he's a black belt karate yeah um, what with a chop with a hand chop I mean, that's, <laughs> that's bruce lee through bricks yeah. shit <laughs> this is to his teammate like, yeah so they, they just don't speak right no for, apparently for six years they they didn't really speak yeah i love that i mean uh, fa- fashion we should say he had a difficult upbringing right oh, he was yeah. he was a foster he was fostered he, he was in a bernardo's care home and was fostered by by these parents and yeah 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 no he yeah he was put up for adoption i think at age five and yeah it was it was a pretty rough upbringing experience a lot of racism i think as well i wonder how much is of like the style of speaking and stuff is an act but like you can't really argue with the actual violence yeah i mean he's prolific on the pitch as well right he's he bangs them he fires them to promotion really before we get onto that there was one other player i wanted to talk about who they signed in Division 2, another key player, Dennis Wise, who they signed, he was 18. And he he was a really, really talented player, went on to have a good career with Chelsea, made his name at Wimbledon. <laughs> it was a great story from his uh, his 21st birthday while he was at the club, booked out this, it was like a church hall or something. And, you know, they're all like having some drinks, some music, dancing. And at some point in the the caretaker of the hall came in and was like, all right, it's, you know, it's, it's one o'clock now. Got music's got to go off. You've all got to be out. They're sort of like, oh, come on. We'll have, could we, could we not just have another half an hour? He's like, all right, another half an hour. That's it. Comes back half an hour later. He's like, all right, that's it. We're unplugging the speakers. And Dennis and whoever else is there. Um, it's like, oh, come on. Could we, could we just have a word around the back? So caretaker takes them into his office at the back and they grab him tie him up in gaffer tape and leave him in a chair there and then just carry on the party <laughs> <laughs> it's like lunatics have taken over the asylum yeah, yeah yeah you can see where vinnie jones in his later acting career gets the inspiration because he literally just does that yeah, sort of thing yeah, in, in lockstock yeah yeah, yeah. yeah true <laughs> there was another another great dennis wise story well, I, I say a dennis wise story but he does I should say, deny that this happened. In 1983, a uh, a big scandal hit the papers because vandals broke into the Blue Peter Garden, poured fuel oil into the pond, killing several goldfish. They smashed up a hundred-year-old urn that had been donated by a pensioner. They destroyed a plaque that had been made by a child with disabilities. There were strong allegations that the culprits behind this were none other than Dennis Wise and Les Ferdinand. <laughs> Who were just like local kids. They're just at like this local point. kids. I think they're about 16 at the time. Les later admits that he was there and that he helped people jump over the wall. But he, he won't say whether Dennis Wise was there, but <laughs> murdering been, the coy car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, been, it's been strongly hinted. Oh, <laughs> um, it was, I. 
the Blue Peter Garden doesn't hold the same cultural significance nowadays as it did back then as well. That yeah. would have been a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably front yeah it's like back a, it's like defacing a war memorial or something. <laughs> Not the Blue Peter Garden. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, like so. Why is this denied it? But Ferdinand's kind of like hinted that it could. Yeah, could yeah, yeah. So I think they they were just part of a group of rowdy reprobates who were roaming the streets of West London or wherever it was that the, the Blue Peter Garden was and getting into all sorts of scrapes. And I guess when the Blue Peter Garden is there, it's pretty irresistible. Yeah, when you live down the road. Yeah. The tortoise got away unscathed though, did it? <laughs> tortoise. Do you think there's still, does Blue Peter so. still going? Yeah. Yeah, I think And is so. the tortoise the same? Because they live about 150 years, don't they? The same tortoise. <laughs> yeah. Seen some horrible things out the corridors of the BBC, that tortoise. <laughs> oh, yeah. The stories that tortoise has got. Can yeah. it take it to the grave? <laughs> I guess only the tortoise will know whether that was there as well. Yeah. <laughs> So this crew of reprobates do pretty well and in their second season in Division 2 they finish third and get promoted to the top flight for the first time in their history. So that's mad, they've gone from non-league, fifth tier, to top flight in less than a decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Luton, literally like Luton now. Mm. Is that that how far Luton have come? Have they come from non-league? They came from the bottom... Yeah, they did. They did come yeah. from non-league. Yeah, Luton though had been in the Premier League before. That's when, true. When they first got went up to Division Four, that was the first time time they'd been in the football league at all. Mm. So it's it's a proper sort of rags to riches. Is the wrong term. Yeah. It's a fairy tale. It's a yeah. yeah, fairy tale. It's a fucking fairy. It's tale. It's a fucking fairy tale, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> There's a really good bit. Um, there's like a TV news report on the day they're promoted and the players are all celebrating in the dressing room and the reporter goes to John Fashionu, what are you going to do against the likes of Liverpool and Man United next season? And Fashionu just goes, probably lose. <laughs> so I like, they've still got this real like down to earth side that I think is really appealing, particularly mm. for the the sort of neutrals. 
And they, they go up to the top tier and they're still such a ramshackle club. So they're in Plough Lane, which is this shithole stadium, really, by comparison to the other teams in the league. They're averaging six th- crowds of 6,000, which is less than half full. There's no roof. Punters are using the loos of their dressing room. People who are using the, the club cafe and the, and the pub are going for a piss in the dressing room <laughs> really? loos. <laughs> That's how, like, ramshackle it is. The players are washing their own kit. French, the physio, says that him and the tea lady used to get, during training, used to get called in during set-piece practice to go and stand in the wall. <laughs> me, me and the tea lady would just be there getting smashed to fuck. It's like, <laughs> what you said earlier, it's like, it's, there's something out of the Beano, that. Yeah, it's literally yeah. something out of the Beano. Yeah, and, and really heartwarming. I mean, like, less heartwarming is, you know, they're still doing the pranks. So there's one time when Alan Cork asks for a pay rise and and Harry tells him to go fuck himself, basically. And Alan Cork says, what am I going to do for some money? And, and Harry Bassett says, well, uh, why don't you set your car on fire and claim it on insurance? And he's like, ha ha. Anyway, he regales this story to his teammates in training. And after training, he's like coming out into the car park and there his car is just on fire. <laughs> his teammates standing around it cackling. They've, they've literally torched his car. <laughs> Did he manage to claim it on insurance? Yeah, maybe maybe it was quite. A, maybe that was quite a, a, a thoughtful prank. What a win-win. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, is it fraud? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, on, on the definitely dock, fraud. On the dock, he he talks about it and he kind of says, "Well, yeah, mm. yeah." It was well, the, the dock thing. is in court or <laughs> the documentary in the do- in the dock <laughs> on the documentary. <laughs> I'm not suggesting Alan Cork has committed any crime. Anyway, this this whole ramshackle vibe should be a massive handicap when you're playing against like the great Liverpool and Leeds and Everton sides, but they turn it into a secret weapon, really. The stadium Plough Lane becomes this like hellish fortress. We talked before about how they would make the experience as uncomfortable as possible for their opponents. So in summer, they turn the heating up in the away dressing room. In winter, they'd open the windows, make it freezing. They disable the flush of the away dressing room toilet and shit in the loo. So when they arrive, the loos are just filled with feces. Um, Sam Haman, the owner, gets in on the act and he he swaps the sugar in the away dressing room for salt. So their halftime cuppa is spoiled. We talked about that before. And quite a big part of the, the sort of plough lane fear factor is the tunnel. So there's no lighting in the tunnel. It's pitch black. And Wimbledon always made a point of going out and being in the tunnel first. And they they do this thing where they just all scream. So they're like banging their boots on the floor, screaming. So mm. the, away, the away team can hear it in the dressing room and they're like shitting themselves. Apparently sometimes the, the away team would emerge into the tunnel to like a barrage of use. And apparently sometimes the Wimbledon squad would put their hand over one of the away players' mouths and drag them into their dressing room and just beat the shit out of them. <laughs> how did they get away with that I I mean, surely that surely can you imagine if that happened today that the match would probably be cooled off yeah, i mean now honestly you throw a slice of pizza and yeah. there's like a national scandal and they're just like kidnapping people i mean we talked about the viv anderson thing he needed stitches because mm. fashion beat him up in the in the tunnel mm. and apparently yeah on occasion they drag him into their own dressing room and pummel them. It kind of just such a beautiful image, the darkness of the tunnel and then, you know, the opposition player walking out and then just being sort of like this hand coming behind him, getting dragged in like mm. something out of a nature documentary, just sort of like <laughs> a lion sort of like pulling him back. Like, as he go kicking and screaming? Oh, yeah, the ankles dragging. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you think, do you think the uh, visiting teams would just know what's going to happen and just shove out a youth player as like <laughs> lamb to the slaughter yeah. sacrifice him <laughs> I mean you don't want to be first out yeah, yeah yeah mental 
And they add a new secret weapon to their armory as well, which is Vinnie Jones. Mm. So mm. Jones is at this point plying his trade with non-league Wealdstone, home of the Wealdstone Raider. I was going to say, you, know the it, meme. you, you, you want some? You want some? I'll fucking give it to you. <laughs> Who I didn't know. I was looking earlier. He got arrested during the Euros for drunk and disorderly. Did he? It? Really? It's, it's not a huge uh, shock, is it? <laughs> I've actually met him. Uh, he he does a. If you want to get a photograph with him, I I didn't ask, but um, someone I with what did. He goes, um, yep, yeah, but you got to put two pound in the charity box, and he carries oh, around a little charity box. So yeah. supposedly, uh, apart from his drunken disorderly antics, he's actually quite a. Uh, he's, I, he's raised what, half a million for Great Ormond Street. Really, yeah. Yeah. it's insane. Where's yeah. his MBE? Yeah. I remember when he used to, he did for a while a tour of all of these like student nightclubs right all the like Oceana and Prism and you just see you just see these nightclub photos with all these like drunk girls just like, like just with their arm around him and he's just like you want some you got no fans got no ground in many ways he's our dream guest I'd say yeah I'd love to have him on yeah the raider himself anyway so he shares a lineage with Vinnie Jones who who playing in non-league Wheelstone, working as a builder part-time and really, you know, career going nowhere. But Harry Bassett sees something in him and Jones is the archetype of a midfield hard man, right? He's he's constantly fouling people, getting... He, I think he's got... He's, he's got the reputation as being the dirtiest player in top-flight history. He's got the quickest ever yellow card. He got it after five seconds, fouling <laughs> someone off kickoff. Anyway, Jones joins and uh, it's during the summer. He gets sent to Sweden for a bit to sharpen up, which he loves. And then he's in the squad and he finally gets his debut. There's an injury crisis and they throw him in at centre-back uh, against, I think it's against Nottingham Forest. And it's a nightmare debut. Nothing's going right for Jones. And in the second half, it culminates, a cross comes into the box and instead of heading it away, he just jumps up and punches the ball away. <laughs> Penalty, they concede. And afterwards, everyone's like, mate, what? what? Was this, this was 86 as well. Was this inspired by Maradona, Maradona. Or maybe, maybe Maradona go, yeah. was inspired by him well, no, it must have been about two months it's, after the World yeah, Cup so yeah, yeah, yeah. good point yeah. it's, unfortunately he's not quite as subtle as <laughs> <Yeah>. Maradona <laughs> and uh, gives away a penalty that's a good point though anyway so everyone's like who's this guy he needs to go back to non-league but they haven't got any other players because of the injury crisis so Jones plays the next game and he scores and he goes on this run I think three or four games in a row he scores as Wimbledon start looking really shit hot, they go top of the of the first division after about five games. Joe, one of Jones's other things, he's got this amazing long throw that becomes like a real asset to the team. Because if you can land it over Fashnu somewhere, he'll sort of like punch the defender to the ground and <laughs> bury it. Um, and pretty soon, Vinnie Jones, having started so badly, becomes the leader of the team. And uh, he, more than anyone, leads the violence on the pitch and the intimidation off it. Before one game he against Liverpool, he tells Kenny Dalglish, I'll rip your head off and shit in the hole. Dalglish is Liverpool manager at this moment and probably like, you know, footballing royalty, one of the most celebrated players in the game. But anyway, Vinny doesn't mind. Anyway, they, they, they beat Liverpool home and away that season. And uh, during this amazing run that takes them to the top of the table in, in the start of the season, they thrash Chelsea 4-0. And in that match, Fashnu gets taken out with a really nasty foul. He's on the other end of it for once. And it kicks off this massive brawl in which like, something like seven Wimbledon players land punches. And on the Monday after the game, they're holding a video analysis session where they're watching back the game. And uh, Vinnie Jones says later that you can see video footage of like one of his teammates is walking along with two Chelsea players in, in headlocks, punching. <laughs> they're getting punched by other players while they're in the headlocks. 
And Jones apparently singles out the teammates who aren't seen punching people in videos and bollocks them. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? This is sort of like taking the video analysis approach, but to the violence, not the defending. It's quite ice hockey like, isn't it? Mm. What was in just like just legalized uh, yeah. legalized violence. Yeah. So besides the really violent style of play on the pitch. The team are, ba- they're basically known for playing, I guess, what you call route one football. They just hoof it up the field. And uh, they start, as they start doing well in, in the first division, other teams start complaining about this. And fans say, oh, I'm getting neck ache from watching all the long balls. But uh, Harry Bassett, he gets, he's quite offended by this. And he claims actually there's like, you know, real thought through methods to their style of play based on this principle that you should always get the ball to the opponent's half within three passes, which apparently is backed up by stats. And he also says that they pursue a chess-like approach adapted from the great AC Milan manager, Arrigo Sacchi, which I don't know if that's what John Fashionu's up to, to be that's honest. so bollocks, isn't it? <laughs> Although I kind of imagine Fashionu being like, yes, my methods are like a game of chess. It is written in the art of war that one must yeah. get into the... Inv- yeah, I, I use my enemy's strength against them <laughs> and then I crush them. Adam. <laughs> but in their defence, they are also fitter than a lot of other teams they get they're really on the fitness thing they do these boot camps yeah Bassett made a thing like the one thing that we had over our opposition was we were fucking fit he used to drill them apparently he used to uh, he said that yeah obviously you know the banter was quite a big thing and we had a lot of strong characters in the dressing room and if I come into training and I had the ump I just send him on a three mile run just to get rid of him (laughs) (laughs) yeah around the windmill on uh, yeah I mean it works there's also a good bit where he one of the Wimbledon players puts in this like horrendous foul on a Belgian opponent. And after the match, you're like, oh, is he, is he going to own up to the fact his players have been really out of order? But instead, Harry Bassett's just like, no wonder Germany went through fucking Belgium in the war. <laughs> <laughs> so unapologetic. He was like, he also used some pretty unorthodox tactics in order to motivate his squad. So supposedly, and this was when they were in the, the top division. So this is in a, a, a four, from a 442 article written on the Crazy Game, which I just loved. I just thought I'd had to mention it. So talking about their tactics, it wasn't just brute force and boisterous environment which garnered Wimbledon's success. There was also a calculated edge to their preparations, as you alluded to, Jack. The chairman and manager purposefully inserted a clause into the players' contracts so that they, if they lost by four or more goals, they were obliged to go to an opera show. <laughs> a punishment for all members of the squad at the time. That's, That's very so Sam Havam. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, opera's... It's like four hours long, isn't it? I would love to see Vinnie Jones in there. <laughs> yeah, Madame Butterfly, the, you know. I reckon John Fashioner would enjoy the opera. <laughs> yes. Yeah, if he's, if he's, Just with his like extremely straight back, like yeah. all of this chaos unfolding around him as Vinnie Jones like lobs drinks at the, the royal box. And Fashion is just sitting there just with this like terrifying smile on his face. <laughs> I'd like to see him eating a canapé with like a pinky yeah. out. I think it'd be like very delicate. He'd have those little binoculars on a stick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, pinky off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Immaculate, frightening. <laughs> anyway, so the end of this first season, they finished sixth in the Premier League. Spirits are high. And then there is a bombshell. Harry Bassett leaves the club to take a job at Watford who are owned by Elton John. So, I, you know, there's a few few sides of the story of why he left. One is that he was, ta- you know, he'd, he'd come up through the lower leagues and he finally wanted a bit of glamour and some proper pay. And then Elton John came calling. The other explanation I've seen is that um, Sam Hamam wanted a clause in Bassett's contract, meaning that Sam could pick the team and override any <laughs> selection, which is, 
it rings true, I think, <laughs> given what we've heard about Sam. Anyway, Bassett leaves and he's replaced by Bobby Gould, who interestingly has the same eyebrows hair set up as Sam Hamam. He's got like the white hair and the thick black bushy eyebrows. <laughs> That's why he hired him. Maybe. Yeah. Carved in his own image. Yeah. The only other person I can think of with that is Max um, Max Clifford, the yeah, disgraced yeah. PR guru. Yeah. That's where the similarities end between those two. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, it? Jeffrey Epstein as well. Right. Like What's the common theme? <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, that common theme only applies to Max Clifford and Jeffrey Epstein and not to Bobby Gould and Sam Hamam. Who are not not offenders of that type. Um, Anyway, Gould joins and he identifies five signings that he wants Sam Hamam to make to bolster the squad for the next season. He's got to remortgage his house if he wants to. (laughs) (laughs) Here's Gould and Hamam explaining what happens after he requests these five signings. I said to Sam Hamam, I want to buy Terry Gibson back from Manchester United. How much do you want? I said, I want £250,000. I said, I want £250,000. And he ordered me 12 sheep's testicles. He says, you eat every one of them. He says, I give you Terry Gibson. It was in the contract registered with the Football Association. They had to do that if I asked them. What? Yeah, so so basically he puts into Bobby Gould's contract that he has to eat sheep's testicles if asked. And at the first (laughs) opportunity when Bobby Gould asked to sign Terry Gibson, Simon Mam says eat the sheep's testicles. And apparently he had them out in front of him because they're in a Lebanese restaurant. <laughs> I have to say, I've never seen it on the no, menu. I was going to say, are they, are they a Lebanese delicacy? Yeah, bollock shawarma. Yeah. I've never seen it. <laughs> that, is, that is extraordinary. Would have put John Fashner if he ever was on the receiving end of such treatment in good stead for his stint on I'm a Celeb, which came um, many years yeah. later. Oh, yeah. 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 And also, again, it's quite Hannibal Lecter to sort of, <laughs> oh, I eat the sheep's testicles. It's delicious, nice, Adam. Yeah, with a nice Chianti <laughs> and some fava beans. <laughs> Bobby Gould does well. He guides them to seventh in the league, which again, everyone had written them off beforehand because, you know, they're, st- they're still Wimbledon. And uh, although he tries to drive out some of Bassett's favourites, he, he eventually wins over the squad and, and brings in a few players of his own. Uh, there's also I, there's just a few good stories around this time that, that I want to tell uh, before we get onto the pinnacle of, of the crazy gang. Around this time, Wimbledon play against Newcastle and Paul Gascoigne is playing for Newcastle. And this is when Gazza is like one of the most promising young players in the world. Everyone's really excited about him. He's shown what he can do. This is his his pomp, really. And uh, before the game in the video analysis, Wimbledon are like, how are we going to stop this guy? He's so skillful. And Vinnie Jones is like, I've got this, lads. I'll deal with Gazza. And the intimidation begins before the game in the tunnel. So Jones sidles up next to Gazza and just barks, Oi, you fat boy, me and you on the pitch. I am going to follow you everywhere, my son. You are not going to kick the ball. So Gazza's like, oh, fucking hell, man. Because <laughs> he's, he's, I mean, Gazza's not a wimp, but he does get quite scared in these situations. Mm. Isn't he famously scared of the dark? Something mm, like that. I think so, yeah. He's, he's like a little boy, Gazza, and he's, that's yeah. why he's so lovable. And then during the game, Gazza tries a cheeky comment at Jones while he's marking him. And this leads to that famous photo where Vinnie Jones has got his back to Gazza and he's just squeezing and twisting Gazza's bollocks. And Paul Gascoigne's got this look on his face of like, fucking hell! Again, it's quite Beano almost, isn't it? It's just like proper bully grabbing his balls. Uh, And apparently he's, he's just like dominating Gazza all game. He like... At one point he's taking a throw and he's like, you stay there, Gazza. And Gazza's like too scared to move, just stands there. 
Apparently after the game, they get into the dressing rooms and Vinnie Jones is showering and there's a knock on the dressing room door and it's the kit man and he's like, uh, present for you, Mr. Jones, from Paul Gascoigne, and it's a red rose. <laughs> and Joan, Jones sends him back a bog brush from, from the dressing room, which I have to say, I wouldn't touch that. It's yeah. from Blau Lane. <laughs> yeah. And this- Ra- randomly on that, my cousin Will was, I asked him, have you got any stories that aren't in the sort of public discourse around this? And he said, random one while I think of it, so this is what he texted me. He goes, when Vinny squeezed Gaza's balls, James and I, was his brother and dad, were in the Don's dressing room after the game, brackets, not sure why, but they just let us in those days. <laughs> Using the loo. Yeah. And he says, yeah, to your point, Gaza brought a red rose to Vinny to the home dressing room after the game indication of the good spirit rather than hatred involved so I think they were quite matey so your like, cousin was there yeah literally in the dressing room when that mm. moment I mean, happened that's like football history I know I know right yeah pretty and they, cool, they, they become really good mates after this yeah Vinnie Jones and Gazza and there's a story apparently a year later Vinny invites Gazza clay pigeon shooting because <laughs> that's, that's his bag isn't it <laughs> and just fucking kneecaps it <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so apparently they're, they're shooting and Gazza holding the gun turns to Vinny pointing the gun directly at him and it's like do you think I'm doing alright like and, uh, and Jones is like, put that gun away, you stupid prat. Point it away. And Gaz is still pointing at him. And he's like, why don't you try and grab me bollocks now? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. That's great. Amazing. Yeah. And then they have another another run-in with a, a sort of member of British sporting royalty. And that's Frankie Dettori, the champion jockey. who's I think he's still sort of quite a, a young guy making his name at this point. But the, the team go to Epsom races for a, for a team bonding session. And they're in the bar beforehand, all in their suits, all dressed up. And Frankie Dettori comes in to meet them. And uh, he's like, ah, the crazy gang. Uh, <laughs> he does kind of talk like that. He's Italian. He's, and he's, he's like, I have a tip for you. He gives them a tip for this horse. He's like, you have to back this horse. Save your money for the last race. Don't bet on anything else. Back this horse. And they're all like, oh, yeah, all right, all right. They all lump on on this one horse, wait all day for the race. And this horse is winning for the whole race and it's just getting to the finish line. And Frankie Dettori, who's riding on another horse in the race, just pips it at the post and wins. And they're all like, what the fucking hell has just happened? Mm. Dettori doesn't really think much of it. And after the race, he goes to the bar to meet the crazy gang, thinks he's going to have a few drinks. And he arrives and they're just like, what the fuck? And they all apparently they set on him, grab him by the ankles and dangle him off the third floor balcony, just over concrete. <laughs> I mean, pick on someone your own size. Yeah, Come on, like. that's true. He's about five foot four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if that. He is quite tough in his own way. Oh, yeah. 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 He I mean, was, wouldn't back him against those lads. Yeah. He was proper famous back then. He used to like hang out in the Grouch show with like Damien Hurst and stuff. He was a party animal. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So he probably would have. Mm. I mean, like, that is Guy Ritchie stuff, isn't it? Dangling mm. him over the uh, over the balcony. But there is a bit I'm, of this like general overlap here between like, you know, your Vinnie Jones, your Frankie Dottori's, your Damien Hurst's, mm. Guy Ritchie, this like 90s, slightly sort of like you know, the new Cockney thing, the young British artist thing. It's interesting. They're yeah. a bit of a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, mm. it's the it's the arty geezer, isn't it? Yeah, Which Vinnie well Jones is definitely, mm. Dexter Fletcher's another one. I think, yeah, Crazy Gang were kind of the spearheads of that movement. <laughs> you can call it a movement. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it back. <laughs> anyway, the Wimbledon lads are back in their suits at the end of the 1986-87 season because they reached the FA Cup final. This is obviously a massive deal, like the rags to riches story. It's kind of the perfect pinnacle of the whole story. And this is against the Liverpool side who in the build-up are described by the commentators as possibly the greatest lineup in post-war football, Ooh. certainly in England. Mm. It's, it's a seriously good Liverpool team. It's, you know, it's Alan Hansen, Bruce Grobbelaar, Peter Beardsley, John Aldridge. It's managed by uh, Kenny Dalglish. 
it's a great Liverpool team and no one gives Wimbledon a chance. And, you know, some teams going into that will be like, oh, we need to change our tactics. But they've beaten Liverpool already this season. They feel like they've got one over them. So Wimbledon just think, we're just going to do our normal thing times 10. So they all live in a hotel for a week in, on Wimbledon Common um, in the build-up to the game. <laughs> this is quite Wombles. <laughs> it is quite Wombles. <laughs> was, it, was, the, was the hotel underground by any chance? <laughs> Didn't know you were such a Wombles fan. <laughs> How come you know yeah, so much about Wombles? <laughs> Scavenging. It's just for, just uh, research for this podcast, really. <laughs> it's been down the common. Hopefully that's all you're doing down the common. <laughs> anyway, so, so they're yes, holed up in this... Yes. They're holed up in this, I say hotel, it's like a B&B in a pub. And it's decided that none of them are going to shower or brush their teeth for a week leading up to the game so that they smell fucking horrible in the tunnel. And uh, Vinnie Jones literally announces to the squad, if anybody showers, we're going to beat the hell out of you. So that's been decided for everyone. <laughs> Bit of team spirit. Um, apparently they go to the pub the night before the game and, you know, have a few pints, which again, seems mad now, but that's how you unwind. Mm. And in the tunnel before the game, they reprise Jones's threat to rip Dalglish's head off and shit in the hole. And they're all doing, in the hole, in the Wembley tunnel, <laughs> the famous tunnel. Uh, Liverpool prepare a bit differently. They record the Anfield rap. This is the era oh God, where yeah. John Barnes is just like constantly recording songs at World in Motion, like a couple of years later. Mm. I just want to play the beginning of the Anfield rap. Liverpool FC is hard as hell. United Tottenham Arsenal. Watch my lips and I will spell Cause they don't just play but they can rap as well It's quite, it's quite like an NWA intro like, Liverpool yeah. FC is hard as hell Beastie, beastie boys <laughs> yeah, It's that era of shouty rap Yeah, yeah shit rap Run the MC Yeah, yeah it's, it's very run the MC mm. um, Can just imagine the them sticking that on in the Wimbledon dressing room Just being like <laughs> What the fuck is yeah, it? Yeah. I'm going to fucking kill these yeah. people. <laughs> Billy Jones literally says to the press, we've got our own song. It's called You'll Never Walk Again. <laughs> uh, and he's true to his word. So as, as you said, George, moments into the game, he flies him with an absolutely sickening challenge on Steve McMahon. McMahon. Oh, that was a nasty challenge by Billy Jones. And the first free kick given against him... He really set about McMahon there. That is a red card nowadays, no question. That's that. a, it's amazing how he doesn't even get away with a yellow in this incident. Yeah. It's, it boggles would, the mind. That would be a six-match ban yeah. today, I reckon. It'd be assault. Anyway, the FA Cup final. So after that foul, Wimbledon sort of slowly start to assert control via their usual methods. And Laurie Sanchez scores for them. It's a typical Wimbledon goal. It's sort of like, you know, balls up in the air and scrambling around. And John Fashion, who remember is Laurie Sanchez's worst enemy. And he says afterwards, that was the worst moment of my life. My arch enemy scored. And now I had to hug the bastard. <laughs> my arch nemesis, my enemy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's actually one of the more human things that John Fashion says, I think. He mm. sounds slightly less like a psychopath. But mm. Equally, why have you got an arch enemy? Yeah. And also, surely this is, this is the the greatest moment of your career you've just taken <laughs> you've had to win the FA Cup yeah and all you can think of is your personal vendetta against your your teammate how will I use this to my advantage <laughs> how was there any backing because my understanding is that Sanchez hated Fasnu because he saw him as a, a bully and really didn't right, like so <laughs> yeah yeah well I wonder where he got that <laughs> but was there any because Fashnu saying that he regarded him as his nemesis did Sanchez ever do shit back to Fashnu or did he just call him out for well Fashnu says in the doc that I don't think Laurie Sanchez liked the fact that I was a young black man making loads of money and, and doing well right I have no idea Sanchez doesn't really offer a reply he's like 
basically won't speak about Fashioni. So I get the impression that Sanchez just didn't like his vibe at all. And apparently sometimes Fashioni would use really long words that he didn't necessarily know the meaning of. And Sanchez would be like, what does that word mean? And Fashioni like, <laughs> wouldn't be able to answer or something. It's alluded to in the doc. That would be fucking annoying, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they're 1-0 up. And then late in the game, they're clinging on. Wimbledon give away a penalty and John Aldridge steps up and it's saved by Dave Besant, which is a pretty amazing moment because Dave Besant, you remembered, he joined the club either when they were in non-league or fourth division. Yeah, they paid 100 quid for him and now he's captain in the FA Cup final and he saves a penalty to win them the game. And that's the moment where there's that famous commentary from John Watson when he says... Oh, and there it is! The crazy gang have beaten the culture club... Wimbledon have destroyed Liverpool's dreams of the double and all over the pitch their players are celebrating something which a few years ago would have been impossible. So after the game they're celebrating Vinnie Jones is like pointing to journalists in the crowd being like you didn't fucking believe it did you? He's like almost angry at their at their victory but he does contribute a really uh fun moment when Bobby Gould the manager is posing with the trophy on the ground he's kneeling there and Vinnie Jones just walks over and just starts thrusting his knob in Gould's face sort of Emmy Martinez stuff <laughs> Bobby Gould describes it in the documentary he's like things were going well and then I got let down Vinnie did something disgraceful <laughs> and you see afterwards Bobby Gould bollocking him and the rest of the team while they're with the trophy amazing is this the win where they all mooneyed the the fans no the, that's the, a the, testimonial game actually. A testimonial I think it's Alan game. Corks they, they, as they're lining up before the game, they all just drop their shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Apparently they'll get fined for it as well. It was like really? Yeah. Oh, surely, in a, surely in a testimonial, that's a fair game. Is that, really, yeah, yeah. Is that coming out of the testimonial money? <laughs> <laughs> Stitch up. <laughs> Ended up costing uh, the charity. Yeah. I mean, they paid a lot in fines over this period, right? Because they're just always getting done by the FA. The yeah. club get there was, fined I, as well. I, I, um... Heard one story though. At the end of the season, there was one player, I forget who it was, who was who was always quite well behaved compared to the rest of them, and they fined him for not getting any fines over the course of the season. So he hadn't, he hadn't contributed anything to their end of season party kitty. <laughs> so he got fined for it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, love that. Mm. But that's that's the high watermark for the for the crazy gang, isn't it? They win the FA Cup and then. Uh, Almost it starts to break up. The t- after yeah, that. the team kind of starts to break up then. So I think the the owner, Sam Hamam, decides this is maybe the time to to cash in. And a lot of the big names are, are sold. So Vinnie Jones goes to Leeds, Dennis Wise goes to Chelsea, Scales to Liverpool, Besson, who obviously has this like amazing story with the club, he gets sold to Newcastle. And they kind of for the f- next few years, they kind of hold their own in the Premier League. They're sort of a mid-table team, which for, for a club of Wimbledon size is still very impressive. But they've kind of lost a bit of the spirit of the old team, which is unsurprising because a lot of those players had come up right from the bottom. And obviously this story has a little bit of a sad postscript because in 1997, Sam Hamam sold Wimbledon to two Norwegian businessmen who... A couple of years later, sell Plough Lane. I think it gets turned into a supermarket. The club then goes into administration. They're relegated from the Premier League in 2000. And 2003, they move the team to Milton Keynes, rename them MK Dons. Apparently, um, Sam Hamam had actually proposed moving them to Dublin. <laughs> so be careful what you wish for. Yeah, good, good sheep. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> what about New Zealand? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Testicles on tap. <laughs> Physical liaisons galore. Yeah. <laughs> but the fans, the fans obviously are furious about this. They reject the new club and form AFC Wimbledon and they start out back in like the, the ninth tier and they've done amazingly. They're now mm. playing in League Two. They went up to League One for a bit as well. Yeah. Did they? Went, yeah. Went yeah. Back down. Until recently. Yeah. And I guess everyone's rooting for them, just that whole story now. And they're back at Plough Lane. Yeah. On the old dog track. Oh, new, okay. new Plough Lane. Yeah. It's, a, it's a fun little stadium as well. And there's supposedly scope to expand if they do do well. I mean, it's already quite a Wimbledon FC-esque story, like rising from, from the ninth mm. tier up to the, what well, they are now, fourth tier. Yeah. And, wh- and what about the sort of major protagonists from the Crazy Gang era? What happens to them? Well, so... I mean, Fashionu and Vinnie Jones are probably the, the two most prominent ones. They both sort of had media careers afterwards. So uh, Fash hosted Gladiator with Uweka Johnson. He now apparently hosts Deal or No Deal in Nigeria. Does he? Yeah. Wow. yeah, yeah. The Noel Edmonds of Nigeria. Yeah. <laughs> um, Vinnie obviously had this really actually successful acting career that it's still going on. He lives in LA now. Apparently he lives next door to Tarantino. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he obviously gets typecast as the football thug. He's in, in like Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, Mean Machine. Euro um, Trip? Yeah, he plays He's it. Man United he, firm leader. Yeah, but he does it in his Cockney accent. Yeah. You know, it's just like <laughs> yeah. classic American uh, casting. He was but. also cast in a, a Kazakh language film where they got around the fact that he obviously doesn't speak Kazakh by making his character a mute assassin. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> All right. I think before we wrap up, I think there's just one obvious question. Why are they cunts? The <laughs> well, like, it's, it's hard, you know, on the one hand, you're like, this is so romantic and like, oh, wild. And it's kind of funny. And then the other hand, you're like, you fucking assholes to each other. Yeah. There's a lot of bullying. Yeah. So famously, Laurie Sanchez and Ian Holloway as well, who was part of the team for for a while, just hated it and thought it was despicable and have called it out on multiple occasions, being like, this is just not cool. And uh, Sanchez stayed for like six years, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, more like endured, I'd say. John Scales and Terry Phelan, particularly in the documentary, talk about it like it was quite dark time for them because mm. they were basically bullied. Mm. I'm not, I, it seems like their only offence was just to be a bit quiet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's enough. It's my weakness. The, yeah, yeah. I would, I would say, I would say, yes, they are, but different time, so it can't be held under the day standards. That's my tuppence. I don't know. I, I, I think it. I'm just imagining myself having to go to work in a situation like that. We wouldn't ask just, a second. No, that. no, true. Um, it sounds to me absolutely horrible and terrifying, and uh, yeah, I mean, it is, it is, it is bullying, really. Like, there's. I mean, some of the, some of the pranks are pretty fun, you know, like um, pouring talcum powder in their motorbike helmet, and but then like beating the shit out of your teammates is just like oh, that's that's a lot of them have really nice. tough upbringings. A lot of them, like, yeah. that's obviously relevant. Mm. Um, I think for me, it's a bit like The Sopranos. It's like I enjoy the story a lot. I can even quite sort of root for the characters at times, but like they're still psychopaths. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a good night to finish on. Fash especially. <laughs> Hello, Jack. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Can you do the uh, the outro in his voice? <laughs> Thank you for listening. Well, um, if you enjoyed this podcast, especially the uh, jokes about me, 
then please subscribe and uh, <laughs> share this with your friends on WhatsApp. <laughs> and it'll be hellfire for them. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening. Very mm. good. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.